Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Consumer Review Report here on Tube City Online Radio, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media, Inc. Yes, here we are back again. It's been a while since we've done a new show, as you, you might be in your own life. Sometimes uh, things get hectic and you find yourself trying to catch up all the time. But I think we've caught a breather, so we can go ahead and do a new show this week. <laughs> so I apologize. Uh, you know, it's been one hectic year, let me tell you. Anyways, this is the Consumer Review Report, where we deal with consumer issues. It is heard on Tube City Online, Sundays at 4 p.m., Tuesdays at 6 p.m., and Thursdays at 9 a.m. But if you cannot catch the regularly scheduled shows... You can catch the podcasts, which are on wmck.fm slash crr, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. And if you have any ideas of any products or services or consumer issues that you would like to hear on a show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and on Twitter at CRR in Mickey Sport. Also, if you have any comments or questions of anything that you hear on the show, you can also email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. And I'm on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. All right, so for our new show in a while, <laughs> I thought we'd talk about maybe there's a plan to ban plastic bags in Pittsburgh. Now, <clears throat> this story came out, I don't know, about a month ago or so, how this environmental group is pushing for a Pittsburgh plastic bag ban. This uh, environmental group, which is called Penn Environment, was successful in doing this in Philadelphia. However, uh, they are now in Pittsburgh trying to push for the same thing. Now, honestly, I would think, well, you know, not any, everybody's, you know, going to go along with it and say, yeah, plastic bags are poisonous, yeah, to the universe, or to the universe, to the environment, and, uh, you know, that's the right thing to do, and it'll be 100% agreeing, but I was surprised to find that there are arguments against this, and they're, and they're pretty valid, too, so we'll get into that later in the show. But for now, let me uh, play audio from a video from CBS Pittsburgh. It's called Penn Environment Study Tested Waterways and PA Contaminated with Microplastics. Let's take a listen. There's a new push to ban plastic bags in Pittsburgh. Penn Environment and local leaders say the bags are threatening Pittsburgh's environment and public health. KDK's Brianna Smith has the details on this plan. More than 100 businesses and organizations are urging city leaders to make plastic a thing of the past, and they want to use reusable and paper bags now and in the future. City Books and Pretty Up Beach View are among the organizations who signed Penn Environment's letter to show their support. The Penn Environment Deputy Director says they conducted a study on 53 popular waterways earlier this year. They found that plastic bags produce microplastics that contaminate water with chemicals linked to cancer. 
She says plastic bags also pollute the environment and negatively affect climate change. So she's urging Pittsburgh City Council members to pass legislation to ban plastic bags. I think it'll be really nice. It'll give some like incentive for people to think about the choices that they make and their effect on the world and with pollution. Even if it's a small change, I think it'll be for the better. Council member Erica Strasberger is on board with the ban. She's been working on legislation for months to ban plastic bags within the city with certain exemptions. Councilmember Strasburger plans to introduce the bill this fall. Reporting downtown, Brianna Smith, KDKA News. Okay, so that was a little of a synopsis about what's going on. Now, it is fall, and I haven't heard anything more about it, so I might have to do a little bit more digging and come up with a you know, an update to this uh, show. But as far as I know, this is what's been happening. Environmental advocacy nonprofit Penn Environment released a letter signed by 100 Pittsburgh businesses and organizations in support of a plastic bag ban, an ordinance expected to come before city council later this fall. Now, we are in late fall. We have, I guess, until December, the end of December, for this to happen. I haven't heard anything about this. And by the way, this is coming from an article posted by Native News Post. Now, uh, there's a quote uh, from Ashley Deemer, Deputy Director of Penn Environment, and she says, We estimate this policy has the potential to prevent 108 million plastic bags from entering our waste stream in our environment each year. These signers represent businesses, community organizations, and nonprofits in every, Pittsburgh, in every Pittsburgh City Council district. The letter is part of Penn Environment's broader campaign to pass a plastic bag ordinance in Pittsburgh, an effort the organization successfully undertook in Philadelphia, where a plastic bag ban took effect July 1st. The Pittsburgh ordinance has been under discussion for several years. It was delayed by a 2019 Pennsylvania legislature ban on municipal plastic bag ordinances, provoking a lawsuit led by Philadelphia and other municipalities. Then in May, in anticipation of the end of the ban on plastic bag bans, Pittsburgh City Council passed a resolution to introduce a plastic bag ordinance. Through, uh, though most of the letter's 100 signatories were small businesses and organizations, some larger retailers are preparing for a potential ban. Whole Foods does not use plastic bags, and in 2019, Giant Eagle announced plans to phase out single-use plastic bags by 2025. In March, Penn Environment released the results of a survey showing microplastics were found in every Pennsylvania waterway tested. Film microplastics, which are fragments from plastic bags, were found in all three of Pittsburgh's rivers, including the Allegheny River, from which Pittsburgh draws its drinking water. Now, Deemer says it's estimated that people consume about a credit card's worth of plastic each week. Once microplastics are in our environment and in our water, there's really no effective way to remove them. So the best thing that we can do is stop plastic pollution at the source, and plastic bags are one source of microplastics. Plastic bag bans in several hundred other cities have had mixed results. In particular, early adopting cities like 
Austin, and Chicago found that banning only thin plastic bags pushed large retailers in particular to offer customers thicker gauge plastic bags touted as reusable, resulting in higher plastic use than before the bans. Other retailers offered paper bags, which come with environmental impacts of their own. Deemer said Penn Environment has been working with City Councilor Erica Strasberger's office to make policy recommendations as they draft the ordinance to help avoid some of the unintended consequences experienced in other cities. Deemer says, in terms of making sure that this doesn't create a bigger plastic problem and encourage thicker plastic bags, it's all in the definition that's in the bill. We want to make sure that the definition of plastic bag in this bill is just blown film extrusion. It's the way that the plastic bags are made, no matter the thickness of the plastic, so that we're not trading thin plastic for thick plastic. Deemer said they are also advocating for the ordinance to define acceptable paper bags as ones made of post-consumer recycled paper. Both the blown film extrusion language and the precision of post-consumer recycled paper bags are part of the model ordinance Penn Environment developed for Pennsylvania municipalities considering plastic bag ordinances. It is not clear what provisions will be included in the Pittsburgh Ordinance. In July, in an interview on WESA's The Confluence, Strasburger said the Pittsburgh Ordinance may include both a ban on plastic bags and a fee on paper bags. This strategy is among the best practices recommended by the Surfrider Foundation, a nonprofit ocean protection organization. In a release, Strasburger says she plans to introduce the plastic bag ordinance this fall. So I haven't heard anything <clears throat> about the ordinance yet, but I may have to do some digging and have an update to this show uh, later on. Now, myself, I when I get bags from the grocery store, I actually do reuse them. Like I have cats, I will... Uh, you know, put uh, used litter into the bags and then throw them away. I will use them in small trash cans, you know, instead of buying trash bags, you know, to put in the cans, I'll use those. So for them to say single use, if you reuse them in that way, then you're not just throwing them away so that they're light and they can blow all over the place and you know, blow into the river or blow wherever it just goes. If it's filled with something, then it's just going to go to the landfill and stay in the landfill like any other trash bag. So that's why I say, you know, when they say it's single use, it's not really for my household anyways, because I do reuse them for trash and uh, for used kitty litter. Um, So, you know, uh, you know, I, I, in the beginning, before the pandemic, I was making the transition from getting plastic bags from the grocery store to using my own bags. <laughs> and <clears throat> I was making it a habit towards the end there to do that until, uh, you know, when the pandemic hit, they said, well, you can't use your own bags because they might have germs on them. So you have to go back to the single-use plastic bag usage so (laughs) it's like 
you could go one way and they'll say no go another way so um it'll be interesting to see what happens uh if this ban goes through all right so <clears throat> i have uh, some more audio from a video it's called bans on plastic bags harm the environment yeah you heard right this uh, video is called Bans on Plastic Bags Harm the Environment. And this was posted by Just Facts. Now, Just Facts is a nonprofit institute uh, dedicated to publishing comprehensive, straightforward, and rigorously documented facts about public policy issues. And they say to accomplish this, we use objective standards of credibility to determine what constitutes a fact and what does not. So, why don't we go ahead and take a listen as to how a ban on plastic bags can harm the environment. Plastic bags have a bad reputation among environmentally concerned activists and celebrities, and they're even banned from supermarkets by some cities and states. Would it surprise you to learn that plastic bags might actually be more environmentally friendly than some common alternatives? Let's look at just facts. In 2011, the United Kingdom's Environment Agency released a study that evaluated nine categories of environmental impacts caused by different types of supermarket bags. The study found that paper bags have a worse effect on the environment than plastic bags in all nine impact categories, including abiotic depletion, acidification, eutrophication, human toxicity, freshwater aquatic ecotoxicity, marine aquatic ecotoxicity, terrestrial ecotoxicity, and photochemical oxidation. Furthermore, the study found that the average supermarket shopper would have to reuse the same cotton tote from 94 up to 1,899 times before it had less environmental impact than the disposable plastic bags needed to carry the same amount of groceries. This wide variable depends on the type of environmental impact, but the median is 314 times, and it is more than 170 times in all but one of the nine impact categories. For example, a shopper would need to reuse the same cotton tote 350 times before it caused less freshwater aquatic ecotoxicity than all the plastic bags it would replace over this period. Given the improbability that the cotton tote would last that long, in most cases, the plastic bags have less environmental impact. How is this possible? Because the environmental impacts of supermarket bags are dominated by the energy and raw materials needed to manufacture them. Plastic bags are inexpensive because relatively small amounts of energy and raw materials are needed to make them. The same attributes that make plastic bags affordable and light are also what make them easier on the environment than alternatives like paper bags and reusable cotton totes. This is overlooked by critics who are fixated on the idea that plastic bags take hundreds of years to decompose. Such logic ignores reality in two key respects. First, modern-day landfills are generally benign because they have composite liners, clay caps, and runoff collection systems. As explained in a 1999 paper in the Journal of Environmental Engineering, modern landfills have minimum odor nuisance, pose few problems after they are closed, and are a tribute to sanitary engineering. Moreover, after being closed, landfills can be used for parks, commercial development, golf courses, nature conservatories, ski slopes, and airfields. Second, even organic materials in landfills commonly take hundreds of years to decompose. 
A study of landfills sponsored by the University of Arizona found that the tightly compacted contents of landfills create a low oxygen environment that inhibits decomposition. The details of the study were published in the book Rubbish, the Archaeology of Garbage, which explains that landfills are not vast composters, rather they are vast mummifiers. In fact, almost all the organic material from the 1950s in a Phoenix landfill remained readily identifiable. Pages from coloring books were still clearly that. Onion parings were onion parings. Carrot tops were carrot tops. Even much of the organic material in an ancient Roman landfill that was 20 centuries old had not fully decomposed. After all, until the 2nd century AD, most literature was written on papyrus, delicate paper-like sheets made from papyrus reeds. But shielded from decay in landfills, some papyrus documents have survived thousands of years. Many people are oblivious to the reality that their organic alternatives don't necessarily return to the earth like they expect. And that's because major corporations, media outlets, and school curricula spoon-feed poorly researched information to people from childhood. For instance, the Environmental Education Exchange's middle school curriculum on recycling states that paper bags take about a month to decompose in a landfill. Nearly the same content appears on EducationWorld.com, which has been honored by Apple, Microsoft, and Encyclopedia Britannica as one of the world's top education resources. These resources invoke the credibility of unidentified scientists to support this claim about paper bags and other organic materials. But actual scientific facts prove otherwise. Speaking of recycling, another common talking point about supermarket plastic bags is that they are rarely recycled. But this argument ignores the fact that a large portion of supermarket plastic bags, 40% in the UK, are reused as garbage pail liners. Interestingly, the UK study found that it is better for the environment to reuse these bags as garbage pail liners than to recycle them. This is due to the environmental benefits of avoiding the production of the bin liners they replace. The study did find that with moderate reuse, plastic totes made from polypropylene are better for the environment than disposable plastic bags, but this doesn't negate the fact that standard plastic bags are a more environmentally friendly choice than so-called green alternatives like paper bags and reusable cotton totes. Thus, when governments outlaw plastic bags to improve the environment, they are actually creating more pollution. I'm Amanda Reed Sheik here with just facts. For thorough documentation of every fact in this video and more facts about this issue, read the article Bans on Plastic Bags Harm the Environment at JustFactsDaily.com. Okay, so I can see that argument where they say, well, you know, making the cotton totes cause more pollution than the plastic bags. Um, an analogy would be the electric cars, right? Now, the electric cars themselves do not spew pollution into the air, but what about the power that you're going to need to charge them coming from power plants who pollute the air while they're producing power, right? So, are you really not polluting by driving around in an electric car? So, you know, that's a fine line that you're that you are walking when you say what causes more pollution and the first answer would be well of course the cotton totes don't but in order to make them whatever factory they're made in pollutes the air uh, you might be saving you know 
you know, a plastic bag from floating into the river, you know, but you have to consider that even if you think that it's not polluting the item itself, the making of it could be polluting the air more than if you did not make that item. So that's pretty interesting point there. All right, so our next uh, audio is from a video called Does Single-Use Plastic Bag Ban Work? And this was posted by Now This Earth. So let's go ahead and take a listen. Plastic bags are banned in New York. Oh, wait. Okay. Well, kind of. The goal of the ban is to keep 23 billion single-use carry-out plastic bags out of landfill each year and to decrease plastic litter around the state and in our waterways. But with several exceptions for certain plastic bags and research on the unintended environmental consequences of these bans, I want to know, are plastic bag bans sustainable? I'm Lucy Biggers and this is One Small Step. Don't get me wrong, there are a ton of environmental benefits to plastic bag bans. For one, these bans decrease litter. The city of San Jose saw an 89% reduction in plastic bags in their storm drains and a 60% reduction of plastic litter in their creeks and rivers after instituting its plastic bag ban and fee. Secondly, these bag bans can reduce demand for fossil fuels. By one estimate, in the coming decades, about 2.2 million barrels of oil will go towards making single-use plastics globally each day. So reducing single-use plastic bag use will reduce oil use. And finally, bans protect recycling infrastructure. New York's Department of Environmental Conservation surveyed multiple recycling facilities in the state, and they reported a range of costs between $300,000 to $1 million annually to deal with plastic bags caught in the recycling systems. But these bans aren't perfect, and the alternatives to plastic bags have their own environmental consequences. One study looked at the life cycle of paper bags, a common replacement for plastic bags, and they found they have a higher carbon footprint than thin plastic bags. In fact, you need to use a paper bag three times before its carbon footprint is equal to that of a single-use plastic bag. Thin plastic bags do really well in life cycle assessments because they're so thin, there's just not much material there, so they have a low carbon footprint. Dr. Rebecca Taylor is a researcher and economist who has studied the unintended consequences of these plastic bag bans. However, paper bags do biodegrade, so if they do end up as litter, then the paper bag can be better. If they all go to the landfill, then you would, you would prefer the thinnest bag possible. In her research, Rebecca found that after California's plastic bag ban, plastic waste decreased by 40 million pounds, but small garbage bag sales rose by 120%. When people no longer could reuse their grocery bags as garbage bags, they had to start buying these garbage bags. Purchases of garbage bags increased the most for people who have pets, people who have little children, babies, and buy diapers, as well as discount shoppers, people who are more frugal and thus are probably more likely to be reusing these bags more to save money than necessarily to be green. Would you still argue that having a policy like this in place is good for the environment? It depends on the metric that you're concerned with. When we look at who's implementing these type of regulations, they tend to be in coastal areas or areas where there's waterways. Plastic litter is particularly costly if you have waterways that can be clogged by these type of materials. If you're in an area without a waterway, then potentially you have less of a concern of the litter itself, in which case you might worry more about the carbon footprint. It's a balancing act between two different types of environmental metrics. 
And that's why, you know, there's not necessarily one solution for everyone. Talking to Rebecca made me realize that these bag bands are complicated, but we're getting one in New York March 1st. So I've come to the launch of our bag band with the Department of Sanitation, and we're gonna be learning how it's going to work. What has been the response from the community? It's been very good, and I always say this, we come from mostly here is African-American and Caribbean or, or Latino background, and in their countries, they don't have plastic bags, or if you're gonna have a plastic bag, you have to ask for it outright. So the community's been doing a really good job of being able to transition out of it. So on March 1st, the state has banned plastic bags, so you will no longer be able to get one at your local grocery store. There's a fee in New York City on single-use paper bags. We really wanna make sure that that we're getting reusable bags to everyone so that they don't need to pay it. I've seen some research that paper bags have a bigger carbon footprint than plastic because they're heavier. Are you worried that people will just replace the plastic bag with paper and then we'll have another issue? I think that what we're really focused on and why the council decided to implement the fee was to discourage that. Okay, this fee needs a bit of an explanation. Part of New York's plastic bag ban allows cities and counties to elect to add a five cent fee on all paper takeout bags. This is actually good because there's some evidence that these fees make bag bans more effective. This point was proven after Chicago enacted a plastic bag ban in 2015. Lawmakers banned all plastic bags thinner than 2.25 thousandths of an inch, which if you can believe it, is the distance between these two points. Yeah, it's impossible to see. It is so thin. Any plastic bag thinner than this was banned. Everything thicker was allowed. So instead of cutting down on bags, stores just started giving customers thicker plastic bags. And this well-meaning Chicago law ended up causing residents to use more plastic. In response to that debacle, Chicago repealed the bag ban and enacted a seven cent tax on all single-use bags, no matter the material or thickness. Because of this tax, the city saw single-use bag use go down by 33%. Here in New York, our new law bans all plastic bags thinner than 10 thousandths of an inch, which is about four times thicker than what Chicago banned. Policymakers tell me this is thick enough to prevent what happened in Chicago. As of this recording, only three counties in New York have adopted a fee, New York City, Tompkins, and Suffolk counties. In the areas with no fee, there is a risk that people will just start using paper bags when they check out. And like Rebecca pointed out earlier, paper has its own environmental issues. Also, I should add that these fees do not apply for people on assistance programs like SNAP or WIC. I know there's also some bags that are exceptions, like takeout bags. Why did you all have to make exceptions for the law? Really, we want to get to a place where we don't need to do that, but just practically, like, we want to make sure when we ask people to change behavior, that is something that they can actually do. In New York, lawmakers decided to make exceptions where they felt there was no alternative to plastic bags. A classic example is the pet store owner that sells goldfish. There's just no way you could put goldfish in a paper bag and bring that home and not have them flopping around on your car seat. These exceptions include plastic bags that wrap meat and fish, sliced food, and newspapers, as well as restaurant takeout orders and dry cleaning. The law also exempts trash bags and Ziploc bags. It sounds like reusable bags is the way to go to really make this ban as sustainable and effective as possible. Absolutely. We really want to make sure that folks have the tools to do the right thing, and we try to design something that makes it easy every day. It's obvious that these plastic bag bans are not a silver bullet for pollution or climate change, but they're definitely a step in the right direction. So if you live in a community with a van, or even if you don't, 
Bring your own bag. It is a great one small step, and if we all do it, it will make a big difference. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for watching. If you liked it, please share it, and we'll see you next time. Got my, my reusable bag, and look where it's gonna go. I'm just gonna do a little carabiner situation, so I'll be prepared. <laughs> my hands are cold. <laughs> oh yeah, baby. Ready to go. <laughs> all right, so there you go. That's one perspective. Now, we might say to ourselves, well, why not just recycle them, right? Instead of throwing them away, uh, Walmart's got that uh, bin up there to put plastic bags in. Giant Eagle's got that bin to put plastic bags in. And you think, well, there you go. Problem solved, right? Well, Consumer Reports Magazine came out with an article in April 2020. And... Um, it's entitled, What's Gone Wrong with Plastic Recycling? And I, I suppose this is just plastic in general, not plastic bags. But since plastic bags are part of the plastic world, this must apply as well. Uh, of all the plastic ever produced, more than 10 billion tons of it, less than 10% has been recycled. That's what Consumer Reports Magazine says. In the U.S., about 76% of plastic garbage goes into landfills where it eventually breaks down into microplastics that contaminate the environment and potentially release problematic chemicals. An estimated 16% more is burned at very high temperatures, which produces greenhouse gases both during the incineration process and when those fossil fuels are used. An additional 1% of that total ends up littering our oceans, where sea life feeds and chokes on it. It breaks down into microplastics that end up in seafood, and it spreads even to the depth of the ocean floor. Why is it more plastic recycled? Well, most plastics is less recyclable than people think. The very idea that recycling makes plastic use acceptable comes from plastics manufacturers. And, uh, um, and then uh, they said the reason the public thinks recycling is the answer is that the plastic industry has spent 30 years on multi-million dollar campaign saying that. That was absolutely the wrong message. The message should have been, don't use so much plastic. Most products are composed of mixtures of different plastics and chemicals, which can make recycling impossible. What's more, these products are often covered with food waste that can further complicate the process. Even the two recycling codes considered most recyclable, one and two, are downcycled most of the time, which means they're turned into lower quality products that will end up in a landfill because those materials can't be recycled again. Big brands often use cheaper new plastic instead of recycled plastic. Today, the percentage of what's recycled is going down. Much of what's collected now is unlikely to be recycled because in 2018, China, where most of the world's plastic was sent to be recycled, stopped accepting it from other countries. There are more programs aimed at reducing the avalanche, Consumer Report magazine continues. On March 1st, New York State enacted a ban on many of the single-use plastic bags in grocery stores and shops, as you just heard in that audio. 
an effort to cut back on the estimated 23 billion plastic bags New Yorkers use yearly after bans in seven other states and a number of cities. Yet, while efforts like these are laudable, they aren't enough to overtake the reality that companies keep pumping out more and more plastic. Global plastic production is expected to almost quadruple by 2050, according to a 2016 report from the World Economic Forum. And because plastic is made from fossil fuels such as oil and natural gas, the report calculated that by 2050, 20% of oil production would be made or would be for actually just making plastic. Just 20% of oil production would be for making plastic. So uh, they continue, Consumer Report magazine continues, much of the current plastic boom is the result of a technology known as ethane cracking, which uses a byproduct of fracking to create the sorts of plastics used in packaging, often single-use plastic packaging, now <clears throat> that's correct. I mean, when you when you strip away packaging from a um, from an item that you buy at a store, you don't reuse that. I mean, at least I reuse the plastic bags that I get from the store that I toted the item back to my house in. But as far as the plastic packaging, you can't reuse that, right? A new ethane cracking plant being built by petrochemical company Shell is expected to produce 1.6 million tons of polyethylene plastic each year. Plastic production is a way for petrochemical companies to continue to profit even as countries turn from fossil fuels to renewable energy. And it comes at a high price. By 2030, plastic-linked emissions are expected to equal nearly 300 coal power plants. And the resulting <coughs> products will continue to pollute waterways and hurt wildlife. While the human health risks from microplastics remain unknown. A 2016 United Nations report showed that more than 800 marine and coastal species are affected by marine debris, including plastic. So, you know, all this time we're thinking, well, you know, we, we should be able to recycle all this by now, but in reality, we cannot. So, Consumer Reports magazine continues, many companies that sell the most plastic, Coca-Cola, Nestle, and Pepsi Company, have signed on to a non-profit partnership between international organizations and corporations called the New Plastics Economy, whose stated goals include eliminating unnecessary plastics, ensuring that all plastic packaging is reused, recycled, or composted, and making sure that plastic packaging is free of hazardous chemicals. Now, Many health experts, though, are unsure that we can create plastic packaging without hazardous chemicals. But gas and oil companies, which make most of the plastic, have not signed on to the new plastics economy's goals. Gas and oil industry representatives still say that their products are safe and that recycling will improve. Um, now, plastics play an essential role in safety in sanitary food packaging that reduces food waste 
and food waste is a huge issue. <clears throat> Work needs to be done to dramatically increase plastics recycling, particularly packaging. Our goal is to recycle and recover all plastic packaging by 2040. There's a lot of work that needs to be done to get there. So other experts say that recycling doesn't work if you keep making more plastic the whole time. You need to make less of it in the first place. <clears throat> and, the, and the experts say we can't recycle our way out of the problem. Um, you know, consumers can pressure companies to move away from plastics, especially single-use plastics altogether. The only solution is reducing the generation and use of plastic. So that is their only solution is to get rid of plastic. For But I mean, I don't even know anything that's not made of plastic. You know, how do you do that? How do you just get rid of plastic? And I guess you could come up with a another uh, material to use but you know what would it be and would it be more expensive and so then you know you can't afford the items that it's now made of or packaged in because <clears throat> it rose the uh, price of the item so it, it is it's a tricky line to follow but I guess uh, you know as with anything in life you have to pick whether economics is more important or whether the environment is more important because I don't think you can probably have them all be at the same level. You know, something, you know, you make, you know, something's got to, if something goes up in environmental, something's got to come down economically, you know. It, there's never going to be a level uh, ideal on those two issues. I don't think. So anyways, we have audio from a video that was posted by CNBC, and it's entitled, Can Chemical Recycling Solve the World's Plastic Problem? So let's go ahead and take a listen to that. Plastics recycling is failing. Globally, over 350 million metric tons of plastic are produced annually. But according to the OECD, only 14 to 18 percent of that is recycled. In the U.S., it's even bleaker. The recycling rate stands at about 8.4 percent, a number that has been on the decline even as the public has become more aware of the plastic waste crisis. While we're all so shocked at the amount of plastic waste we generate each day, virgin plastic production keeps increasing 4 or 5 percent year over year. China used to be able to profitably recycle much of the world's plastic waste. But that came to a halt in 2018, and now we have to deal with it domestically. Problem is, most plastics just aren't recyclable, and even those that are degrade in quality each time they're remade, meaning they'll eventually end up in the landfill too. So we can't recycle our way out of this problem. Or can we? Mechanical recycling won't save us. That is, chopping plastic up, melting it down, and remaking it the way that we do now. Instead, the industry is betting big on something called chemical recycling, which can handle all types of plastic waste. This new technology can take those plastics, break them down into the raw materials, and make brand new quality plastics out of them, which gives you a much bigger expansion in terms of potential and markets. With governments around the world increasingly banning single-use plastics, 
Industry groups like the American Chemistry Council are hoping that chemical recycling can save both the industry and the environment. Companies like Brightmark, Plastic Energy, and Agilix are now trying to turn plastic into fuel and plastic back into plastic. We are going to have plastics in the environment for the foreseeable future, and I want to find what is the most optimal way to reduce waste and increase the environmental sustainability aspect of those products that we use. But skepticism abounds. After all, plastic made from scratch is actually cheaper than recycled plastic. So how will the economics even work out? And can turning plastic into fossil fuels really be considered recycling? Shouldn't we just focus on producing less in the first place? It's up for debate. There are thousands of varieties of plastics, but seven main categories, of which only two can be recycled by traditional means. PET, which water bottles are made of, and HDPE, used in things like milk jugs and shampoo containers. Sorting plastics and removing contamination is labor-intensive work. And so, since the 1980s, the United States, alongside other nations like the UK and Australia, sent much of its plastic waste to China, where cheap labor allowed Chinese producers to profitably recycle it. But as single-stream recycling became the norm, and plastic was thrown in the same bin as glass, cardboard, and other materials, China noticed increasingly high contamination levels. After years of warning, the country set strict new contamination limits on imports that were nearly impossible to meet, leaving wealthy nations scrambling to find new overseas markets. What they, we have done over the last few years is to export to countries that they had less infrastructure of what we have, and then creating a much bigger problem. So why not just develop the infrastructure to deal with it locally? Basically, mechanical recycling in the U.S. just isn't profitable without incentives or subsidies. Virgin plastic is incredibly cheap, and we are seeing traditional mechanical recycling operations shutting down because it simply does not pay. They cannot sell their recycled plastic at a rate that would justify paying people to collect it. But even as states like California try to prop up their curbside recycling programs and centers with subsidies, there's still just so much that can go wrong. While number one and number two plastics are recyclable, about 70% end up in a landfill or incinerator anyway. It's too contaminated or it's too difficult to separate. And then the recycled polymer is sort of low grade. And then on top of that, it's typically too expensive. Absent strong regulation, public pressure, or true altruism, there's just no reason why a corporation would pay more for lower quality recycled plastic. So we, we need to find something else. And then of course, something else would be switch materials or source reduction, use less. But obviously that would be bad news for the plastic industry. So I think they see the only way forward is chemical recycling. Enter chemical recycling, a process that can break down any plastic, type one through seven, into its molecular building blocks and then theoretically convert it into virgin quality plastic, chemicals, or diesel and petrol fuels. There's been a huge investment in these chemical recycling technologies in recent years. They've been very hyped by industry. They're saying that these technologies are going to allow them to capture a much broader stream of plastics and turn them back into plastics like new so we could get more of a circular economy with that. The most common technology used in this process, pyrolysis, is not new. It involves heating up a material like waste plastic in an oxygen-starved environment, which causes it to break down into a mix of simpler compounds, which are then used as building blocks for new products. But critiques abound. Tongri's organization, the Global Alliance for Incinerator Alternatives, or GAIA, 
recently released a report which concluded that no chemical recycling facility in the U.S. is turning plastic back into plastic at a commercial scale yet, though there's been many attempts. Of the 37 chemical recycling facilities proposed in the U.S. since 2000, Gaia reports that only three are operational, and they're mostly turning plastic into fuel, which the organization calls the opposite of an eco-friendly solution. The companies themselves, though, beg to differ. Brightmark, founded in 2016, is building a commercial-scale plastics-to-fuel plant in Ashley, Indiana, and aims to process 100,000 tons of plastic by 2021. It will sell fuel from this plant to BP. So ultimately, our goal is to produce less combustible fuels. There are at least 14% less greenhouse gas emissions associated with the fuels that we produce versus pulling crude oil or natural gas out of the ground. In addition to fuels, Brightmark's process also produces paraffin waxes. And Powell says the tech is ready to convert plastic back into plastic. They just need customers. I think the market is there. And I think what you would see from us in the future is relationships with folks that achieve our goals around circularity and their goals around circularity, because we can do it now. But in the meantime, Tongri questions whether turning plastic into fossil fuel is really a solution worth supporting. Is plastic to fuel better than, say, I don't know, syngas derived from coal? Yeah, probably. But <laughs> who uses that? It's on its way out. These are not clean fuels. Whether they are absolutely the dirtiest or they're the second dirtiest or the third dirtiest, they're clearly fossil fuels and they are highly contaminated fossil fuels. Then there's UK-based Plastic Energy, which is turning plastic back into plastic on a commercial scale at two facilities in Spain. We targeted to have a processing capacity sometime by 2023 of about 300,000 tons of end-of-life plastics per year. Much like Brightmark, the company started off producing fuels, also through a pyrolysis-based process that converted plastic waste into naphtha and diesel. But now, Monreal says they're totally focused on plastic-to-plastic -plastic recycling. Since April this year, 100% of our tac oil is used to create new plastics. We are committed to the creation of a circular economy for plastics going forward. Monreal says that Europe's ambitious environmental goals provide unique incentives for this type of technology to flourish. We have commitments to double the recycling quotas in Europe from about 5 million today per year to 10 million tons per year by 2025. He also cites Europe's high landfilling fees and multi-stream recycling infrastructure as advantageous. With plastic, glass, and cardboard already separated at the source, plastic energy can acquire difficult-to-recycle plastics more easily and economically than in the U.S. As the company tries to increase its processing capacity by over 2,000% in the next three years, it may face competition from Oregon-based Agilix, which is also trying to turn plastics back into plastics and is looking to expand internationally. We have a pathway and a roadmap to take plastic recycling from the current 10% to upwards of 90%. Agilix was one of the earliest companies in this space. Founded in 2004, it ran a plastics-to-fuel operation until 2015, providing jet fuel to the Department of Defense. Low oil prices forced the company to pivot. And now, Agilix specializes in converting polystyrene back into styrene, which is used to make disposable cups, takeout containers, and packing foam. Agilix is often hailed as a leader in the space, but Gaia has called its efficiency into question, reporting that only one-tenth of the waste that Agilix processed in 2018 was actually turned into styrene a figure that the company disputes. So yes, they, they were significantly off on the yield numbers. 
And if our yields were in the 10 to 20% range, we would not have an economic plastic recycling pathway that the top companies in polystyrene have embraced. While Gaia says the company has not proven that it's capable of recycling plastic on a commercial scale, Agilix is planning to expand its capacity across the U.S., Europe, and Asia, in conjunction with a number of petrochemical partners such as America's Styrenics and Ineos. The facility in Chicago that we're developing with Ineos Styrolution will be 100 tons per day, 10 times the size of our Tigard, Oregon facility. And as we replicate those, the scale of our recycled styrene will begin to have a significant impact on the market. Cooper says the company hasn't run a life cycle analysis to see how its recycled polystyrene compares to virgin polystyrene, but estimates the process to be between 40 to 70% cleaner. This number two is up for debate. But it's more than just a disagreement over statistics. Fundamentally, it's a disagreement over priorities. Basically, there's not a consensus on whether chemical recycling will represent an important part of the plastic waste solution or an expensive distraction from what many believe ought to be the real priority, making less plastic. There are people who embrace chemical recycling as an emerging technology with an evolution path. There are others more focused on reducing the amount of plastics that we use as a country and as a world. Not surprisingly, there's big policy disagreements as well. For example, the fact that plastic industry groups enthusiastically support chemical recycling while opposing policies like single-use plastic bans or plastic taxes leaves many skeptical that the industry would ever pursue eco-friendliness over profits. The industry is investing so much money in chemical recycling because they really want to convince us that they can continue to churn out ever large quantities of plastic and solve the problem downstream. Tongri and many other environmentalists believe that instead of pursuing chemical recycling, the plastic waste problem is best addressed through legislation, in particular, extended producer responsibility laws that force plastic producers to bear the cost for the environmental impacts of their products. There are proposals that would impose a tax on plastic producers proportional to the environmental and health harm that they cause. The idea is that this would lead to less plastics production overall, drive growth in the market for plastic alternatives, and incentivize consumers to turn to reusable materials instead. But many champions of chemical recycling support a more free market approach. If virgin plastics cost more because there's a tax on them, that helps us out. But I think that open market competition is really the true way in the long run to foster the innovation and the efficiency to drive higher recycling rates across all plastic types. Cooper's position is shared by industry groups like the American Chemistry Council and the Plastics Industry Association, who say that consumer demand and corporate pledges will make recycled plastic an attractive option, even if virgin plastic remains cheaper. Others, though, say legislation and chemical recycling both have a role to play. Regulatory and governmental frameworks have really driven us to where we're at the point now where there is an absolute demand to deal with the issues of post-use plastics. In the future, maybe there won't be a need for plastics and we find a better way of doing things. But for the foreseeable, we are going to have plastics in the environment. And so what we do is already environmentally better. It will ultimately get even better as time goes on. But for now, serious doubts about chemical recycling's efficacy, environmental footprint, and scalability remain, leading many to withhold support in favor of starting with simpler solutions. 
overall, I always like to start with the easiest, most obvious solutions. And I think there are many, many places where we could just use less plastic without compromising our quality of life. But I think it'll take a lot more than just coming up with a handful of amazing technologies to fix this. All right, so a lot of solutions there, but they're kind of general solutions. You know, I don't hear like, okay, stop using plastics, but here's how we're going to stop using plastics. It's just a lot of generalities like, yeah, we're going to stop using plastics, um, period, you, you know, and we're going to have to come up with innovative ways to not use plastic. Well, these people that are saying that, you come up with some solutions and tell us some solutions what we can do to not use plastics anymore. I mean, I'm looking around this room and I see plastic, 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 plastic. <laughs> so what, what are we supposed to do, you know, in the meantime while we're waiting for an alternative or, you know, whatever, you know? I mean, honestly, even... <laughs> I was just thinking this to myself. I was telling the story about how I was trying to use my own bags before uh, the pandemic and then the pandemic hit and I had to go back to the reusable bags because they said my bag, my bags would have germs on them and they can't use them. So <laughs> I was thinking to myself, the bags that I was planning to use are plastic, but they're a thick um, plastic kind of, you know, plastic cloth if you will I guess I don't know maybe they're a vinyl it's sort of vinyl but I'm pretty sure they're made of plastic and so it's like well here I am trading my plastic bags for the single use what they call single use plastic bags so I just thought that, that I just got a chuckle out of that because you know, what if my bag gets a hole in it, then I have to throw it away, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> is it going to be an issue that I'm polluting it because I had to throw away a bag of my own that has a hole in it? It's just very complicated um, navigation. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Maybe uh, Pittsburgh will have that ban in uh, plastic, uh, single-use plastic bags that you get from the grocery stores or whatever stores that you go into, and then, uh, you know, uh, what's going to happen then? People are going to bring their own bags? Yeah, we'll see. So I will try to figure out how to get an update on what exactly is going on. Is the Pittsburgh Council uh, in the process of, uh, you know, considering a uh, plastic ban in Pittsburgh? And uh, if so, how far along in the consideration are they? Are they voting on it? Are they passing any laws? And so I'll try to go ahead and get an update on, on that. Uh, sorry, I tweaked the wrong knob here. Ah, okay, so, <laughs> so that is the end of the show. Like I said, I will try to get an update on that later on but we have run out of time and so uh, you know it's uh, kind of eye-opening when they say that plastic bag bans might be more harmful to the environment than uh, not so that was kind of a shocker to me and maybe to you all and if you have any questions or concerns about the subject we talked about 
this week, uh, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and Twitter at CRR in McKeesport. Also, if you have any ideas of any products or services or consumer issues you would like to hear on the show, you can email me at consumerreviewreport at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook at Consumer Review Report and Twitter at CRR in McGeesport. So this is the Consumer Review Report on Tube City Online Radio, a service of Tube City Online, Tube City Community Media. Heard Sunday at 4 p.m., Tuesday at 6 p.m., and Thursdays at 9 a.m. However, if you miss our regularly scheduled shows, there are podcasts available that you can listen at any time, any show at any time. And they are available on wmck.fm slash crr, iTunes, Google, iHeart, Spotify, and Spreaker. So... I'm Diane Rebecca, wishing everyone a safe and good week.